This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to re-watching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Katie White, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Chad Hopkins. Hey, Chad. Hey, Katie. How's it going? It's going well. Uh, excited to wrap up season three here. Um, long time coming. A lot of uh, suspense and cliffhanger from the last episode. So I'm excited to get started. Me too. It, it's kind of a pretty big milestone. Well, I, I was about to say it's the first like longer, longer season. It's only one uh, episode longer than season two. But uh, still, it's the end of another season. Hard to believe we've <laughs> come this far already. And uh, looking ahead at season four, which is actually a shorter season, only 14 episodes, um, we'll be on season five before we even know it. It's kind of crazy to think about. Yeah, I'm sitting here looking at my DVD collection and I have four pulled out already. It looks like we're halfway through-ish, so uh, we're not quite, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's coming quickly. Well, I don't think we have any introductions or things to set up or say or anything before we get started, so let's just go ahead and get started. So episode 34 of season three is The Job. It aired on May 19th, 2007, was directed by Ken Quapis, and it was written by Paul Lieberstein and Michael Shore. Michael is interviewing for an open position at Dunder Mifflin Corporate, along with Jim and Karen. Thinking he's a shoo-in for the position, Michael has already promoted Dwight to his position as Granton Regional Manager and sold his condo on eBay. And the newly uh, inflated Jan has returned and made an offer that Michael apparently can't refuse. Jim and Karen discuss what should happen to them as a couple if one received the job over the other. And Dwight teams up with Pam to bring the Scranton branch up to snuff under the Schrute regime. Inflated in so many ways, Chad. <laughs> great, great use of word. <laughs> Thank you. I, oh, I was trying was to think good. of the perfect word to nail it, and that, that, that's what came to me. That did it. <laughs> Metaphorically, for the characters, and size-wise, it's kind of a, not even a supersize, it's sort of a double episode. But yeah, lots to talk about. Let's get started. A uh, good place to start, as always, is Michael, I guess. Yeah, it's just ridiculous how he's literally put all of his eggs in one basket and now he's like hopped in a race car and just hit the gas and there's a brick wall in front of him and he should be able to see it but he's ignoring it and so everything's gonna go to crap is sort of the the metaphor that just immediately came to mind because he's promoted dwight like i mentioned um he's sold his combo condo like i mentioned he uh is so overzealous and so overconfident. He just thinks there's no no way. There's no one who has more experience than me. There's no one who's been around longer than I have. I've I've got this uh, uh, in. I got this in my pocket. Like it, it's it's mine, and that's just not the case as we see throughout the episode. But it's just Michael. I don't know what has him so eager, but he is really eager. We even see in the cold open, he accidentally mistakes his day for the interview. He shows up to New York a day early and kind of turns it into a reminder to David Wallace that he's the most qualified <laughs> person there. He says, uh, oh, just a quick question about, you know, the application. Uh, how many people are you interviewing? Who did you put in charge of the merger? Just what was that me? Oh, yeah, right. That was me. And he kind of... Uh, tries to groom David Wallace into uh, taking Michael for the position. And on the day of the interview, 
Jim and Karen, who are also there, Michael just does not take them seriously. He calls it cute that they're there applying as well. Uh, he just is so also inflated, but in a different way. Um, he is totally sold that he's getting this job. And then Jan walks in, uh, wanting to get back to be- uh, wanting to get back together, and Michael gathers all of the women from Women Appreciation Day or Women Appreciation, and says, help, what do I do? I don't want this. I don't want to be back with her. I was miserable when I was with her. Uh, My life is a lot better, a lot happier now. What do I do to make her go away? So they they give him their advice, yada, yada. They just say, under no circumstances should you be able to go back with her. Don't go with her. And so he's, he buckles up his resolve, and he goes back next door to his office where she's waiting, and she has taken off her jacket. And lo and behold, the the uh, cleavage valley uh, that <laughs> lies before him. <laughs> and uh, Michael stops dead in his tracks and can't stop staring. And he becomes putty in her hands. And there's no way he's escaping from that because it's Michael. And the whole sexual side of their relationship was what drew him in to begin with. And then once they were an actual item, it's sort of what pushed him away, but now she's got bigger boobs. And remember, that was something that Michael actually complained about in Women Appreciation at the mall. He says uh, she had sunken chesticles or something like that. <laughs> and uh, so she's fixed that. So at least that's one less con off of the jam list, uh, which is apparently enough for Michael. He, and it's a sign of maturity that he would give her a second chance and hear her out. Right, right. Not a sign of immaturity that the only thing standing between him and this horrible relationship is <laughs> fake boobs. Um, but they're back. Uh, and you see a little bit of the immediate regret uh, at the end of the episode when Jan is moving in already. So they've been back together for, what, a day? And mm-hmm. Jan decides that she's moving in to Michael's place. And... I think Michael's doing a talking head at the time, but there's the image of Jan bossing around the moving guys as she moves into Michael's place, and he is just terrified. You can just see him standing well ways away, staring at her, like, what did I do? Why am I back in this? He's already regretting it again. Well, it's funny, even in the scene where uh, where Jan is confronting David uh, about how, why he would be firing her. Uh, She thinks it's completely unreasonable. She's done nothing to deserve being fired. And Michael is caught in the odd position of trying to defend both his girlfriend, newly acquired, and his company. And so he, he like, backs Jan up at one moment and realizes, oh, that was a bad thing to say. Um, Actually, that applies to all of us. So don't worry, David, I wasn't talking about just you. Um, and so he, he backpedals a little bit and then after they've left and he's driving them back, he's trapped in the car with this crazy woman. There's this single take, single take of Jan, like panicking and then saying it's all okay. And all of a sudden she bursts into tears and does this like high pitched wailing and then everything's okay again. It is the definition of bipolar that is happening to Jan right now. And it, Michael is literally along for the ride and has no way out. They mentioned in the commentary, um, I cannot remember who it was, but I think it was Jenna Fisher that said 
Jen is the kind of person that doesn't hold herself responsible for her actions. Everything else, everything that she does is something else's fault. It's someone else's fault. And that little breakdown that she had in Michael's car was because of her uh, painkillers, right, from her surgery. It wasn't because she's emotionally unstable. It's just someone else's fault. And we all know somebody like that. And it's just the worst. Like, just take your actions at face value. You did this. You cause people to feel this way. And she just can't uh, own up to her own actions and emotions. Well, when, when she does confront David Wallace, uh, she says, how do you get off? How, how do you justify this? And he starts listening. Well, you've been completely erratic over the last two years that I've known you. You smoke in your office, which, hey, that is not okay. Um, I can almost guarantee that Corporate offices in New York City do not allow smoking, but here she is doing it anyways. She spends all of her time online shopping. She is not the model of even what a bare minimum employee should be. And here she is in a corporate position. She has no justification for her actions. Uh, mental instability or not, you take care of that. You, you, you take time off. You take a breather. You do what you need to do. Um, but Instead, she throws it in everybody else's face and says, hey, was it because of these boobs I'm wearing right now? Uh, And David says, well, no, it's not because of that. This is something that has been going on for a while. Yeah, she really just can't, again, own up to her actions and understand that it was her um, personality and her work ethic that put her in this position, not her boobs. Um, And I do feel for Michael at this point. I mean, he went into this job interview not knowing it was for Jan's job. Um, Mm -hmm. And I can imagine that that's a really awkward position to be in, knowing that, okay, I really want this job, but that it would be her job and she's going to get fired anyway, so is it okay to take it? Is it not? Um, He doesn't handle it great, but he doesn't... I, I mean, for Michael, it's probably just about as well as he could have handled that situation, I have to say. He misunderstands it first and says, oh, you, you mean we'll, we're going to tag team it? Uh, <laughs> no, that's not how that works, Michael. You're not going to tag team this position with your girlfriend. Um, but even so, I, I do feel bad from, be, aside from the Jan situation, he's, think, he's so on fire for this job and is so eager to have this job. But even in the interview himself, he displays how unfit he is for it. Uh, David asks him, what are some ideas you have for the company? And he says, well, I thought about changing the name and we could call it Great Paper or something like that. One, that's a completely non-creative title. <laughs> that, that, that's, you could come up with something better than that. But also, uh, that's not what he was asking. He was asking for like concrete business ideas, the thing you are going to be doing in this position. And Michael's mind just isn't working that way. He He's not prepared for something like this. He's used to doing what he does at Dunder Mifflin Scranton uh, passably at the moment and sort of riding the coattails of his employees in a lot of respects. Um, so it's sad for Michael on multiple levels, both with Jan and in his own expectations being smushed by himself. But then uh, I, I do sort of admire how uh, David tells him, no, we're, we're going in a different direction. We're, we're going to pick somebody else for the job. And Michael says, you know what? Uh, he, he sort of tears up for a second, it looks like. But, you know, it's okay. That, that, it's, it's good, actually, because uh, it, it, it's not being a good boyfriend if you take your girlfriend's old job, right? So I would like to respectfully withdraw my name from consideration. Do you accept? 
Yes, I accept. Thank you. And <laughs> it, it's Michael trying to take control of the situation that he completely lost control of. Yeah, like I said, just about as good as we can expect from Michael in such an awkward situation. Um, he, when all is said and done, I think handles it pretty well. I mean, he's got a good gig in Scranton. Um, he likes the people he works with. He, you know, he's the manager. Um, it could be a lot worse. And he's happy there and he's happy in Scranton. His life is in Scranton. And frankly, I cannot imagine Michael Scott in New York City. Um no. But it's right. He needs to be in Scranton. And I think he recognizes that for now, this is what he needs. Yeah, for now, I do think it is a little bit bittersweet for him. Um, because when he, when he comes back, he does the whole, I'm back. I'm back for good. <laughs> this really terrible Terminator impersonation that he doesn't even attribute to the Terminator. Uh, he has a sort of bittersweetness to him where he says... I'm here forever. I'm never, ever, ever going anywhere again. And it's like, wow, there went all your career aspirations that you had three hours ago. Uh, So I I think he is, for the moment, settling a little bit. Uh, But I do think he genuinely likes his gig at Scranton and does like the people he works with. That's his driving force and driving motivation for the way he behaves 98% of the time is putting on a show for these people he cares about. So I think he's glad he's back, but I also think, yeah, it kind of would have been nice if I had gotten that job in New York, you know? Yeah, he's bummed, but uh, life is not perfect now either because uh, Jan is living with him, and we're going to get some more uh, <laughs> of that soon. The Jan waterfall of emotions is uh, just now beginning, really, so... What a fun, fun character. We've got a couple of uh, big episodes coming up in season four. There's one in particular around the episode nine mark. If you people out there are following along, uh, that, that'll be a good discussion when we get there. <laughs> um, now, Dwight, I love the moment when Michael gives Dwight the letter congratulating him as the new regional manager of Dunder Mifflin Scranton. And Dwight just completely breaks down. He weeps so openly. And it's, it's really a tender moment. And then it turns funny because it goes on way too long where Dwight is just sobbing. <laughs> and then Michael is just so <laughs> uncomfortable. So those things paired together make a, a tender moment turn amusing. Plus, Michael congratulates him in the most insincere way. He's like, congratulations, <laughs> A-wipe. Don't screw right. the pooch or whatever he says. Um, <laughs> which, you know, he always gives Michael, or sorry, he always gives Dwight a hard time. But um, Dwight is no less flattered from the uh, from the gesture. So he is regional manager for a day. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And he makes a serious amount of changes in just that one day. Um paints the office black he changes the whole system regarding shroot bucks now there's a whole reward system he uh is taking away some of the more advanced paper selling techniques and really focusing more on um how paper is made which okay (laughs) i mean i guess you should know that that's important but that's not really what they're there to do 
Um, totally different approach to Michael's reign. He is sort of power hungry, really. It's the realization of really what we've been seeing from Dwight since episode one. Remember in episode one, he was making suggestions about how there should be downsizing and how he'd fire all the people in order to increase productivity and stuff like that. Uh, He's been talking about this for a long time, all the way back to the coup at the beginning of season two, where he actually went to Jan to try and take Michael's job. And here it is. Michael has given him his job. And so he immediately has a nameplate ready to slap on the door as soon as Michael walks out the door. and. He does come up with the Shrewbuck system, which is absurd. It's like fake money printed on full sheets of paper. Who's going to carry that around, Dwight? Who's going to display that? What are you going to do with that? How are you going to store it? It's just ridiculous. And he's almost offended by the fact that people don't want to collect it. Stanley says, I will give you a million Stanley nickels if you never talk to me again. <laughs> Dwight asks, well, what's the ratio of Stanley nickels to Shrewbucks? And Stanley says, I think, uh, the same as the ratio of unicorns to leprechauns. <laughs> so it, he's making all these changes that he thinks are for the benefit of things. And he's comfortable with not being liked. But when things start not going his way, uh, he does balk a little bit. Of course, he enlists um, a few people to help him out. So he holds interviews for his number two position. Uh, Andy is the only person that signs up, so I guess Andy gets the job. However, Dwight will be keeping himself as assistant regional manager, but he needs somebody, maybe a third person as well, so he uh, enlists Pam to be his secret assistant to the regional manager. So (laughs) when uh, Dwight is, you know, kind of laying down the law with his new subordinates, Pam um, really kind of for Jim, she kind of does this, you know, because Jim told her, say yes to anything Dwight asks you, um, kind of plays along and is his, you know, hard-ass, like, um, assistant. So she has some fun kind of teasing Dwight without him knowing it. When he first shares with Angela the information that he's the the new regional manager, uh, one, it's not face-to-face as they want to do because they can't at all, under any circumstances, publicize the fact that they're together despite how much they care about each other. But she's very visibly excited that he got this position. And after he's walked away, she sort of mutters to herself, goodbye, Kelly Kapoor, as if she's uh, going to all of a sudden like rise as his governess or something and force her whim on others as soon as he's uh, assumed the position of regional manager properly. It's like she, she sees this power that she suddenly has over everybody. and. Uh, I guess Kelly Kapoor is first on her uh, chop list. (laughs) I did think it was interesting how I've always seen Dwight as such a loyal friend to Michael. But as soon as Michael's gone, all that loyalty kind of seems to be gone too. Now his loyalty is to the company, which Dwight was always loyal to the company. I get that. But there was also a huge amount of respect for Michael. Um, and all of that seemed to kind of go away as soon as Michael was gone, which really shocked me. I think Dwight admires Michael because he's in a position of authority over him. But I think he also realizes Michael's limitations and uh, faults and lack of abilities in certain areas, which is what happened in the coup is he said, you know, I love Michael and I'm 
respectful to him and I'm loyal to him to a point, but our jobs are at stake because that was coming up on the merger and they knew that one of the branches was going to be closing soon. And so he thought he would do a better job than Michael and ultimately save the branch. And that was his motivator then. And so I think him sort of pushing Michael's ways aside is just recognition of the fact that Dwight's in charge now and he doesn't have to abide by anybody else's rules because they're his rules now. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that does. Um, Plus, he's always just been a bit power hungry, as you said earlier. So uh, he's going to get, you know, what he wants done when he's in charge. So whether that was Michael's intent or his uh, wishes or not. You already mentioned Pam. Um, she's still being bold in this episode, still speaking her mind. They they do sort of resolve things re- uh, regarding her speech at the beach in the last episode. Um, we'll talk about the flashback here in a minute. But she approaches Karen and says, you know, I'm not sorry about what I said. I'm only sorry that it sort of made you feel awkward. And Karen calls her a, a B word, which I don't really understand. I don't think, I think Pam was being honest. I don't think she was being overly uh, confrontatory confrontatious that's the word um confrontational or anything like that confrontational there it is i'm making (laughs) up my i'm making up michael words that's what i'm doing uh um but uh she's still staying true to her character at the end of last episode which is good because i think it would have been easy for the writers to have had her go on this arc throughout season three reach the peak of it at the end of beach games and then just sort of okay now Pam is Pam by the end of season three and going on. Uh, instead, they, they kept her. She's still bold. They, they have other characters sort of tease her about it, about making speeches, about how they miss their friendships, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but she gets to sort of live vicariously in the same way Jim would have uh, through the secret assistant to the regional manager position, using that absolutely I do line, speaks up for Dwight in the conference room. Um, but yeah, I just like that that Pam is still the same Pam that we saw at the end of Beach Games. Yeah, I agree that it would have been easy for the writers to say, like, okay, Pam had her outgoing moment, that's it, you know. But um, I do like that they kept her, at least, you know, for now, um, strong. I mean, now she's a stronger character than she was, and I think that they were ready to have some growth in Pam um, because she was such a meek character before uh, and she still is I mean she's not loud or anything uh, by any means but it's nice to see her with a little bit more depth but I feel so bad for her in this episode especially at the beginning when everyone is really ragging on her about her speech Kelly even calls it patheticville um <laughs> it's just I don't know um Oscar even who I always thought to be really really kind when uh, he is kind but he even says, hey, Pam, I, I really miss our friendship. I, I want to talk to you about something. And, you know, she kind of laughs it off. She's, she's a good sport. But a lot of people, and there's even more in the deleted scenes, um, are just ragging on her. I, I, I took it all in good-natured fun. Um, maybe that was just the way I read it versus you. But uh, I, I didn't think there was anything malicious or anything that was tearing Pam down. I think they all respected her for it. And that's why they teased her because they weren't used to Pam doing stuff like that. Um, so it was, it was a step out of character for her. And so they're, they're continuously bringing attention to it, but not necessarily in a, uh, 
I can't believe you did that kind of way. It's uh, we like this new side of you. Now bear with us teasing you about it for a little bit before we move on kind of situation. That's the way I read it. I'm hoping so because I'm trying to imagine if I was in a situation where a coworker or a friend of mine publicly, I mean, she didn't declare love for Jim, but you know, made a big enough statement of her feelings about him that it could be hurtful, I guess, if they teased her too much or in the wrong way, but she seems to take it all in good stride. She's laughing it off pretty good naturedly. So the right people were teasing her about it, I guess. I mean, if, if Dwight had done it, for instance, that would have probably not gone over so well or <laughs> Michael, but um, yeah, her, yeah, her friends are teasing her. So it's, it's more okay. Our other two characters we haven't really talked much about yet. We have Jim and Karen. Um, what this episode highlighted for me is that Karen continues to make their relationship more selfish. Um, not saying that I don't get it or that she's completely wrong, but small example, she has Jim go get a haircut so that he looked presentable rather than homeless. It, it's sort of insulting to him. Like you, you looked homeless before go do this. And then, um, she jokes with him about how she's going to be the one to get the job, which, yeah, that's fairly innocent. They're going back and forth with each other. No big deal there. But here's the whammy of this episode. She forces Jim essentially to choose between her or his friendship with Pam. She says, listen, what, what's going to happen if one of us gets this job? If you got the job, I would move here with you. If I got the job, would you move here with me? And she points out, listen, there's one too many people in Scranton, and that's Pam. Very clearly, Pam. She says, we have no future there. So what Jim is having to try and figure out for the latter half of this episode is, is my relationship with Karen something that I want to pursue at the cost of giving up my friendship with Pam again? Because he's already gone through that once. And we've seen how close they are, love interests or not. That's a special friendship. And both of their lives would be the worse for the other not being in it. So I, I just don't like, I, I like Karen in a lot of ways, but I don't like how as this season has progressed, she becomes more and more about her. And again, I get it sometimes. I do. Because to, to know that your boyfriend had a pretty severe crush on another coworker who's still there. And now she's apparently reciprocating those feelings after the fact. I understand how, how uncomfortable that would make her and how uncertain of their future that would make her. But I think she just focuses too much on what she wants rather than considering what Jim wants from their relationship. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, And I think a huge part of it for me is that we don't see really how serious Jim and Karen are. Um, To me, a lot of the time, and maybe it's because we know Jim's feelings for Pam, but a lot of the time what I see is them joking around and then having a good time. We don't see them being romantic or them really being in love or whatever words they're using if, you know, they just like each other or whatever. Um, We don't see a lot of that. Presumably it is there. I mean, they've been together for quite a while now, but we don't see a lot of that. And I don't know, moving to a different state for somebody is such a huge deal. I mean, let's say Karen got the job. So now Jim 
when he defined a job, presumably out of Dunder Mifflin because he didn't get the corporate job. So now, I mean, he has to do a whole change of job, maybe career. That's just a huge sacrifice. And it's nice and it's wonderful that she would do that for him. But I feel like there was a better way to do that. And if they are more serious than it's uh, made clear to the audience, then okay, I'm being unfair. But we don't see how serious they are, uh, which has always kind of bothered me that if they're not that serious, that is such a huge thing to ask of somebody. I really think it's a scene where she does ask him to, well, makes him choose one way or the other that the scales sort of seem to tip for Jim in Pam's favor. Uh, obviously, we don't see it there, but in retrospect, I think that's the scene that really did it. But then at corporate, when Karen has already had her interview, Jim is waiting in the the waiting area to go have his interview and she's waiting with him. But then he says, you know, you don't, you don't have to wait here for me. It's okay. Which is the thing you say to somebody, but you kind of still hope they stay, you know, I mean, they're in a relationship and they just talked about moving in with each other. Um, But she just takes him up on his offer and says, Oh good. I have friends here and they want to hang out. So just call me when you're done and we'll meet up later. And so instead of staying to support, her boyfriend, who she's so keen on staying with and leaving Pam behind for, uh, she just goes. And that also emphasizes the fact that she has a life here already. Remember, she almost didn't leave Stamford because it was relatively close to New York after all, and she could have just gotten a job here um, instead of going to Scranton, but she decided to follow Jim. So she has people here that she already knows. Jim would have to start over, which is sort of what Karen did in going to Scranton anyway. So it'd be echoing that. But we saw how unhappy that has made Karen so far. Why make Jim go through that too? And again, selfish, she just leaves him behind. (laughs) Why can't you stay and be supportive just like he was there to be supportive of you? Waiting for his interview or not, he was still there. Right. I'm I'm trying to imagine if the scales or if the uh, tables were turned and Jim's interview was first, he would absolutely wait around for Karen. If if Jim left Mm -hmm. in the middle of that scene, we would all be like, Jim, what the heck? Like, that's so rude. Um, But he doesn't. And I don't think he would if he was in that situation. Um, And Karen chooses to. No, that'd be a betrayal of Jim's character. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's totally out of character for him. So, um and I get it. I mean, I, I think he's probably fine with Karen leaving. But it would be a really nice gesture for her to stay. Right, especially since they have this sort of, sp- this sort of fake competition going on between the two of them over who's going to get the job and who's not. And uh, we'll talk about right. who gets the job in a minute. But we've got the biggest moment of the series so far to talk about first. And it's also one of the, the best moments of season three, one of the happiest moments of the whole show so far arguably the whole show, where we think everything's wrapped up and Pam has this voiceover and she's talking about, you know, things between Jim and I just never worked out. We were into each other at the wrong times. I turned him down. He turned me down. We just got the timing wrong and things didn't work out and that's okay. We're going to be okay. And I hope he gets the job and so on, so forth. And then boom, Jim walks in. Hey, Pam, are you free for dinner tonight? Yes. All right, then it's a date. 
and he says, date. <laughs> and so <laughs> it's pretty clear to us that Jim has made his decision. And that is so satisfying that Pam was, she, she had resolved or she had made peace with the fact that her and Jim were just not going to be a thing anymore. It, it's, it's over. We both tried. We both failed. It's okay. Life goes on. Other fish in the sea, whatever sort of crap. And then he walks in right as she's sort of accepting that. And the table flips. And she gives the biggest, most genuine Pam smile. And she was so excited. And she says, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, what was the question? And it's such a satisfying moment and a fantastic way to wrap up this season. I love that it was something so easy and subtle. It wasn't some big, huge, romantic scene with flowers and doves. It was just, you know, them. I I don't know how to really put that, but it was such a small moment that meant so much, if that makes sense. It was one asking the other for personal time spent together, which has happened before, but previously they turned it down. And so this time, this is the first time they've been able to say yes, and both of them have been able to say yes. And that's the big step for them is that their schedules are in sync for the first time. And that's awesome. a date. He made that very clear. It wasn't, hey, let's go get dinner. And, you know, there's always that like, oh, is this a date? Is it not a date? Are we friends? Are we not friends? No, he made it clear. This is a date, which like props to Jim, because not a lot of guys do that. Not a lot of guys are like, this is a date. I am taking you out. You know, it's they leave it kind of open ended, but he makes it clear to her. I'm taking you out on a date, which she's almost crying. I mean, there's tears in her eyes. She's very, very happy. And uh, just as she was about to kind of close that door, and I think. Had she closed that door, it might not have opened again. I, I don't know. Um, maybe I'm wrong. It, it may have. But I think she was finally ready to kind of, you know, send that. I don't know what, what the metaphor I'm going to use here is, but <laughs> to kind of close <laughs> that door. Yeah. Well, I mean, just think about Pam's journey in particular this season. This season, a lot of crap happened to Pam. She started off and the wedding is off. Jim is gone. Her best friend is gone. There's no communication between the two of them for a long time. And she's dealing with being single again for the first time in years. And then Jim comes back into her life, except he's with another girl. Their friendship's not the same anymore. So that's rough. She eventually gets back with Roy. And then that whole situation happens. He almost kills uh, Jim He's fired. They break up again. She's single again. And she's been sort of pursuing Jim in a certain respect, uh, letting him know that she has interest, at least, and was turned down again. And so she's been on this roller coaster of ups and downs throughout this entire season. And finally, it ends on... I don't know with the roller coaster analogy if it's better to say it ends on a high or it ends on a low. I would think low because it's the end of the ride, but I don't know. Uh, I'll let you figure out that <laughs> metaphor on your own analogy. We'll figure out something. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it's it's just great that Pam's arc for this season ends positively. 
we never really answered who does get the job. Um, total curveball, total shot in the dark. <laughs> it is not at all who you would expect. It is Ryan Howard, the temp. So we know that Ryan has been going to business school, um, night school, I guess, outside of the office, and got his MBA. And that, I guess, is what put him over the top. David Wallace, in their phone call, says, it'll be nice to have another MBA around here. Really excited to have you. Um, Ryan accepts the job, hangs up the phone, and breaks up with Kelly, and that's the episode. (laughs) That's the season. Um, He gets the last, actually, she gets the last word. He gets the last um, really just excited, evil look at the camera. Um, He is moving on up. He is no longer the temp. He is Michael's boss now. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what direction that goes in this uh, next season, season four, with Ryan sort of in charge. He's he's taking Jan's job. So, yeah, he is Michael's boss now, technically. He's no longer um, the little kid that Michael seems... Uh, uh, that's going to come out wrong. He's no longer the pretty boy that Michael seems to have had some sort of man crush on this entire time. Um, or at least not in rank anymore. So, yeah, it is a curveball. It is completely out of left field. But uh, it's funny that Ryan gets to end on sort of his high for the season because he's been trying to find various opportunities this whole time to sort of ditch Kelly. And he's (laughs) finally given that opportunity. He is not even hesitating. That's the first thing he does. I mean, she's right there. And Kelly, we're over. (laughs) what (laughs) and season um yeah so we have a pretty quiet ryan throughout three seasons um he's there he's always in the background he has a few big scenes but we don't get a whole lot of him um about to get a bit more he's he's uh definitely in charge now so that'll be fun to discuss further when that time comes now let's go on to funny moments, uh, starting off with the cold open, I suppose. Michael has shown up in New York City a day early and is talking with David. Uh, we already talked about that scene, but what, what my favorite part about it is the ending of it when he says, yeah, I've got, this, I've got this job made in the shade. All the other branch managers are morons. And then Pam picks up the phone. He's been dialing this whole time. And he says, hey, Pam, forgot what day the interview was. I'll be like three hours late. (laughs) So right after he calls the other (laughs) branch managers idiots, he admits to showing up for an interview in a city three hours away uh, a day early. And so uh, it's just a a funny contrast. You might want to double check that. (laughs) You know, (laughs) if you're making the trip for a big, huge job interview. um, Yeah, you would think you might check your calendar. Um, I love the scene where... Kevin is trying to take it upon himself um, to figure out for Jim who is prettier, uh, Cam, Cam, Pam, or Karen. He was so taken aback, I guess, by Pam's speech at the uh, at the lake or at at the beach, and really wants to help Jim out by deciding who's prettier. And so Jim is not taking him seriously at all. He can make his own decisions and uh, choose his own partner, but. Jim asks him to go ahead and figure that out and get back to him by the end of the day. He'd really like to know what Kevin thinks. 
Yeah, I really like that as well. How how seriously Jim takes Kevin and how seriously yeah. <laughs> Kevin takes his task. And yes. uh, that, that's one benefit of the deleted scenes for this episode is we get a couple more moments of Kevin sort of sneaking around uh, Pam and trying to figure out exactly what the pros and cons between Pam and Karen are so that he could finish this task for Jim. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Um, the shot through the blinds of Michael's office of Michael just caressing Jan's breast is just absurd. And even in the commentary track, they say, I don't know how we got away with this on network TV, but they did. And it's just, he, he's sitting there and he's holding them or doing whatever with them. I don't know. And then he drops them and he says, hold on, let me check one more thing. And he just grabs them again. <laughs> it, it's so ridiculous. I mean, come on, Michael. And then when they finish, quote unquote, finish whatever they were doing, they uh, straighten their shirts and they go and they open the blinds back up and walk out. It, it's just so absurd, but it, it makes me chuckle. As if everyone in the office didn't know what was going on. Right, and why they're together again. Now, that was pretty clear. Yeah, right. In fact, when um, we didn't mention this little bit in the uh, episode discussion, but when Jan leaves Michael's office after taking her coat off for the first time, Pam just goes, oh my God, out loud. And um, Jim turns around and Pam is just kind of mimicking how, you know, an exaggerated version of how large um, Jan's boobs are now. And they kind of have a bond over that. And then Karen um, sees that they're joking around and kind of steals back Jim's attention um, and kind of diverts his his gaze back to Karen and away from Pam, very intentionally on Karen's part, but um, a funny moment followed immediately by a uh, more dramatic one. So that was nicely done. Now, Dwight has a fantasy, apparently, where I'm just going <laughs> to I'm going to read Jim's quote to sum this up. So in your wildest fantasy, you are in hell and you are co-running a bed and breakfast with the devil. To which Dwight's response is. I haven't told you my salary yet. $80,000 a year. Come on, Dwight. <laughs> you're going to cap off at 80000 Come on. You're in. It's a fantasy. You can have as much as you want. More than. Uh, I, it's Dwight. It, like, it kind of makes me frustrated just because he's so absurd. <laughs> yeah. Add another zero. Make it eight hundred. I Go mean, crazy. come on. 80000 Ugh. Oh, I mean, yeah, that'd be nice. But like. It, it is his dream job, and he's totally okay with this, and Jim kind of mocks him and is like, that's really, in your wildest fantasy, and Dwight's just like, yep, <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> wow. I did Google, or rather put into my search bar, www.creedthoughts.gov.www/creedthoughts. Unfortunately, of course, <laughs> that is an inactive link, um, but... Um, Ryan does say that he had set up a Word document for Creed because Creed wanted to start a blog. Um, and Ryan goes in every once in a while and checks it and said that even for the internet, it is pretty disturbing. I had thought that there was an active link somewhere of Creed Thoughts, but I couldn't find yeah. it. Um, if anybody finds that, think, let us know. I think there was at some point, but I am not seeing it either. There's creedbratton.com right now, but I think that's for the mm. actual actor musician who tours around right. and stuff. Um, I thought there was one, but... Um, there was at some point, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. They made a lot of those sort of novelty websites for TV right. shows. Right. Um, 
which was kind of fun. Um, it posted some of his, you know, crazier blog posts and things. But um, <laughs> unfortunately, yeah, no longer an active link, but fun to, to talk about anyway. Yeah, it's just so funny that Ryan felt the need to sort of save the world from Creed's thoughts by giving him a Word document with a URL at the top. And Creed is clueless enough that he just types into this document. <laughs> it's so, so funny. Um, I love how Andy has this sort of interview with Dwight. And by all accounts, he completely fails at it. Like, he's clearly not giving the answers to Dwight that Dwight wants. But... uh he does it in the Andy way that exudes confidence no matter what, you know? And he, he has this talking head in the middle of it that says, I have one thing no one else has, my brain, which I use to my advantage when advantageous, implying that sometimes <laughs> it's not advantageous, so he doesn't use his brain at those times. Uh, it, it's it's That's silly. evident, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love, and it's a really hidden line. It's in the middle of Jim's interview with David Wallace, which is going very, very well, by the way. Um, he seems like a shoe in but David is asking him to fill out some paperwork or whatever for the job and um, or, or for the interview. And David says, so sorry about this, you know, and um, our stupid HR guy, Kendall, I hate him so much. <laughs> He's the only he guy here that you wouldn't like. And, um, I love that because even David hates his HR guy. It's like every manager of a um, an office just hates their HR guy, just like Michael hates Toby. I liked the uh, consistency there. Yeah, it is funny. It's just like the boss's job to hate the HR guy. Now, talking deleted scenes, there's quite a few of them. Um, I, I probably won't list all of mine, but... There's one that it starts off with, with Michael saying goodbyes and taking pictures and Toby walks in on a shot of Phyllis and Stanley. Michael says, you ruined it. Um, and he says, you know, I'm inspired by Pam's speech at the beach to be honest and to say something that I've never said before. And you think for a split second, maybe Michael's going to say something kind, but instead he just flat out says, I hate your guts. <laughs> and Toby says, I, I know. <laughs> It, it's, uh, Michael just, he takes the opportunity and he finally tells Toby exactly what he's been feeling all this time. As if we couldn't tell. Right. Yeah. Um, I love that after Michael gives Dwight the new job, he's now a uh, manager. Michael asks Dwight not to change anything in his office for one month to allow the staff to grieve Michael's absence. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, first of all, they don't spend a whole lot of time in Michael's office, but second of all, like, no, they're not going to grieve you. And it's not your call anymore. Just a very Michael thing to say. And Michael also in his circle of goodbyes comes around to accounting and he's trying to compliment them on the three of them working so well together and just completely botches any kind of appropriate metaphors. He says, you, you're like a three-wheeled unicycle. I'll let you figure that one out. Um, like a string quartet. Again, I'll let you out there figure that out and what's wrong with it. He says, you're like three finely tuned engines in the same car. Or a tri-tip steak. Or a Three Amigos fan club with a lot of members in it. I don't know what Michael was trying to touch on here, but all of them missed the mark, and it's hysterical. 
There was one I found particularly funny. Um, Michael is apartment hunting in New York online, and he finds a an apartment in Jamaica, Queens. Jamaica is a neighborhood <laughs> of the borough Queens in New York City. Um, and first of all, Jamaica is not like apologies to anybody living in Jamaica, Queens, if you're listening, but it's like not a super great place to live, in my opinion. Um, not very safe, you know, just one of those places. And um, it's in the very, very last stop of the transit system, which is notoriously like not a great place to live just because you're so far away. And where Queens is located, it's just far from Manhattan, and he's looking at this apartment like it's a great deal, and he's so excited to live on the last stop, and like, no, Michael, don't do it. It's a horrible deal. <laughs> um, <laughs> so a little a little laugh on my end. Yeah, and it, it's... Uh, just being at the end of the subway just sounds like the worst to me. Like, always knowing yeah. that no matter what, I'm the last stop of the night, or the last stop of the train, it's... Yeah. No, thank you. Um, kind of empties out and you're, you know, alone on a train with maybe you and the, the drunk guy. Like, it's just. <laughs> well, and then likewise, the starting glamorous. off in the morning uh, where you are the very first right. stop and you have to go through all the other stops in order to get where you're trying to go. Right. Michael thinks of it as a convenience. He says, you know, if, even if I fall asleep, I end up home. Uh, OK. Which, yeah. If, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I've had that thought. But <laughs> it's uh, it's still not the most glamorous place to be. No. Um, there's more expanded Dwight and Andy interview shenanigans. Um, there's also an extended Dwight Pam convo where after she leaves, um, the secret uh, assistant to the regional manager appointment, uh, he calls Angela and says, "Hey, keep an eye on Pam." She says, "Done." And we see her sort of slowly raise her head over the partition surrounded or between their desks. Uh, it's just a silly little moment where. She she like turns ninja mode and all of a sudden is peeking over the desk. Maybe the last one for me, um, Dwight in a talking head interview is talking about how he is kind of sad as manager now because he can't pal around with his um, now subordinates the way that he used to pal around with his colleagues. Um, mm-hmm. Because what we know about Dwight is that he's just, a good old time in the office. He pals around with everybody. Um, so yeah, he'll, he'll really miss joking around with his colleagues. Creed counterfeits a whole bunch of shroot bucks and demands cash from Dwight. And Dwight says, no, that's ridiculous. And Creed says, well, if you don't give me what I want, I'm going to flood the market with these babies and it'll make them worthless. And I thought to myself, put in parentheses more than they already are. <laughs> uh, right, but it, it, it's just silly that Creed would even come to the thought of uh, photocopying or counterfeiting these. And in fact, while he's photocopying photocopying them, he is standing in front of the door, and he blocks the door while Phyllis is trying to come in, and just holds it there and pretends she's not there. And we also did get a commentary this episode. Um, a lot of it was. You know, end of season nostalgia. So there was just a lot of actors laughing at at the episode. Um, But there were some good notes as well. The flashback of Jim and Pam, which we didn't really dive a whole lot into um, in in the discussion, which we can do here if we like, um, 
was supposed to be the cold open, but it fit really nicely towards the end of the episode where they put it. Uh, and I agree, it fits really nicely, um, kind of leading up to this closed door or open door for Jim and Pam. Um, yeah, a nice nostalgic place where they put it. Yeah, just real briefly on that scene, I like that it gave Jim a chance to reconcile what happened between them as well. You know, she laid it all out there at the campfire and said, you know, this is why I ended my wedding. It was because of you and I miss you. I miss our friendship. Uh, It really sucks that we're not as close as we used to be. And honestly, I wish we could be more, but you're with Karen and that's okay. And so Jim gets the chance to sort of reciprocate and say, you know, I left initially because I wanted to be not here. And just admitting to each other that the reasons they did what they did was because of feelings for the other person not being reciprocated or not in the way that they wanted them to. So I just like that they they had that moment of closure in a way. Like if they hadn't gone out on a date at the end of this episode and we had just gotten that resolution, that that resolve in the the flashback at the beach, then I think that would have been okay. I mean, I still wouldn't have been happy with Jim picking Karen over Pam, but I I would have understood I would have understood because they would have had that moment to to meet each other eye to eye and tell each other exactly what happened between the two of them and why they're not going on. On a totally different note, the um commentary brought to light that well, first of all, there were a lot of kind of inappropriate moments in this episode that they were surprised to be able to keep in, one of which was Meredith's talking head where she said um, that men tend to be more attracted to the uh, back of you than to the front. And NBC (laughs) actually said, whatever you do, keep that in. It's too funny to cut. So (laughs) they uh, really kind of fought for the office at that point and um, insisted that they keep something a little bit more raunchy in just because it was really funny. Uh, the original cut of the episode was actually an hour and 12 minutes long versus the final cuts, 42. And then the deleted scenes went up to 12 or 13. So 55 minutes, there's still another 15 to 20 minutes out there floating around. I would be interested to see what else didn't make either of the cuts. Yes, NBC, release it, please. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Ken Quapis, the director, also briefly talked about how he liked to try to get people to tell a story with their reactions. He, uh, Jenna Fisher pointed out that, you know, this is a really big reaction-heavy episode of like characters in the background reacting to something in the foreground, uh, which is sort of a staple of The Office anyways, but apparently it's one of Ken Quapis's sort of trademarks, and he is a regular director for the show. Um, but then I also thought it was interesting that Jenna Fisher said that she recorded all of her talking heads, or at least the bulk of them for this episode, in one day. And she would just change out her outfits as appropriate, which was pretty funny. With Karen and Jim are in New York filming, um, a, a few things. First of all, the actors used pretty much all of their own clothing, which is unusual and kind of neat. Um, and then, of course, as we mentioned before, whenever they do anything on location... They've gotten enough fame at this point that um, basically don't, like, talk to them too long on set or else people kind of realize what's going on that they're filming. And then there was this one scene, uh, really short, but when they're in New York and they're in the restaurant and it's shot from across the street or from outside the window of the restaurant and you just see Jim and Karen drinking wine. 
um, because that was shot from outside the restaurant, they didn't rent out that restaurant. Those aren't um, extras or actors. Those are just real people. And they just had to go in there, buy a glass of wine, sit down and talk to each other and just actually have a glass of wine together because they didn't rent out the whole restaurant. And there was this drunk guy next to them just bugging them. What are you guys doing? What are you guys doing? And John Krasinski said, hey, man, we're, we're actually doing a scene right now. Uh, you know, thanks. And the guy just gave him a hard time like, oh, you're in a scene. You guys are so fancy. And he would not leave them alone. <laughs> um, and so the whole time they were just trying to like rush through it so that this drunk guy would stop bugging them. <laughs> uh, the last commentary bit for me, at least, you, you might have a few more, but uh, Melora Hardin, Jan Levinson, uh, reveals that her dropping the box on her way out of Dunder Mifflin was a complete accident. And uh, when that happened, they obviously all stayed in character, except she didn't. And she just bent her head over and was looking face down and laughing her head off <laughs> as they were trying to pick her stuff up. Uh, so that was a fun little tidbit. Uh, we, we talked in the past about how it's, it's amusing to know when characters or actors break character on camera. And sometimes we don't catch it unless we know. And now in the future, when we go back and rewatch this episode, we're going to know that uh, Melora Hardin is breaking character as she's picking up this stuff from this box that toppled uh, mistakenly. <laughs> You'll never unsee it. Yeah, it'll be there forever. <laughs> uh, last one worth mentioning for me, um, which I just always like to talk about, like the special tricks that these actors have. Um, I think we mentioned it before, but John Krasinski does a lot of great impressions of people um, especially on the production side of the office. And so they talk about him doing Ken and um, I think a few others as well, which is just kind of fun. I wish there was a video or something out there, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, a pretty good commentary. A lot of people in this commentary um, and it being a special one because it wraps up season three. Now, what about our discussion topic for this episode? So with the job with um we know ryan got the job we know michael kind of didn't get it slash withdrew his name karen and jim uh didn't get it although their um interviews went very well it seemed especially jim's what do you think went down in the room or um later because it seemed like jim was going to get the job so what do you think happened I don't know. I think that it was it was going really, really well. And there's obviously a rapport between uh, David and Jim back in cocktails just a few episodes ago. Uh, they played basketball together at David's house during this party that they both found a drag. And so they'd already become friends in certain respects or they got along well with each other. And the interview was going pretty well. But then I think Jim got distracted and he wasn't giving as good of answers. He's still a likable guy, though, so I don't think it really would have ruined his chances. But I don't know. I, I think he was on track for sure to get the job, possibly. But I don't know if that ended with him getting it offered to him and him turning it down. Or I could also just see Jim sort of pausing and saying, look, David, I'm sorry, but something's come up. I can't have the job. I'll talk to you some other time and just sort of leaving because he felt this eagerness to go chase down Pam because something we didn't mention earlier um, in that scene where he is actually interviewing David, he has this note 
on his sales reports that Pam left him because she made the copies. And attached to the note from Pam is a gold medal from Office Olympics back in season two. Uh, so a, a tender memory between the two of them. And I think that's sort of the final straw where Jim says, okay, I pick Pam. And so, I, like I said, long story short, I wouldn't have been surprised if Jim just sort of stood up and said, listen, I've got to take care of something. Uh, give the job to Karen or something like that. And that, that been it. I, I agree with you on most respects. I think, here's my theory. I think Jim was offered the job and turned it down um, for a couple of reasons. I think David was speaking to him in a lot of like present and future tenses. He said, Kendall's the only guy who you are not going to like, stuff like that, um, as if he already had the job. He was filling out paperwork um, from HR, which seemed pretty final. Um I don't know what the paperwork was, but he was just joking around with him and speaking to him in a way like he got the job. That was just my impression. And then David also frames Ryan's offer on the phone with, I know we left the other day with some uncertainty, but after some more thought, basically, I'd love to be able to offer you the job. Um, which makes me feel like he was gonna, you know, like like Ryan was his runner-up. Um that John, John, <laughs> that Jim was who it was. He was going to hire, um, hire Jim, but that didn't end up working out. Um, and something else I wanted to mention about his interview while he was waiting, um, you hear the receptionist say, Dunder Mifflin, this is Grace. And Jim kind of looks up at her expecting, you know, Dunder Mifflin, this is Pam. And kind of, messes with him and then on top of so so there's that and then he gets pam's note and the medal and it the the note was just friendly it was just saying good luck um i forget what the what the exact words were but it was something like don't forget us when you're famous it was some you know um funny little well wish like that and it just took him totally out of the interview and i think he either turned it down in the room or got a call and turned it down later but I think as soon as he saw that, I agree with you, he was out. So that's season three, everybody. Uh, There was some additional material on the final disc of the set. Uh, There was the full Lazy Scranton video from back at uh, The Merger, I believe, is the episode we saw that. Um, There was also a clip from the 58th Annual Emmy Awards hosted by Conan O'Brien. We established in... uh, previous episodes through commentary that Conan O'Brien and uh, Greg Daniels, the showrunner, were actually like old college roommates or something at some point. And so it made sense that Conan would make an appearance on The Office. And the clip is basically him dropping down from the ceiling over Dwight's desk. Dwight thinks it's a prank from Jim. Jim says, no, I did not have Conan O'Brien dropped down from the ceiling as a prank to you, Dwight. <laughs> it's it's absurd. It catches everybody off guard. And then the the best part about it for me is that Conan gets his own talking head. I just think that's so perfect. Right. And of course, he's got a little crush on Pam. So, um, of course, because he doesn't in the office. And then <laughs> he even kind of pokes some fun at the office saying, I could see, you know, 
if I stuck around, I, I, I could see having like five or six seasons, uh, five or six seasons of will they, won't they, where it ultimately leads nowhere. <laughs> um, he just kind of <laughs> p- poke some fun at, at the, uh, at the way that the offices held uh, Jim and Pam's relationship, which is kind of fun. But yeah, that was a neat little unexpected excerpt. There was also a blooper reel, which um, like most blooper reels, kind of hard to talk about. A lot of actors just breaking character and, you know, flubbing lines and laughing about it. But there were some funny things worth mentioning. Um, Ed Helms, who plays Andy Bernard, kept calling Jim Andy or kept calling John Krasinski Andy. He's supposed to be Jim. Um, because he, it was like his first or second episode. I think it was, um, back when he were, it was back when he was still at Stanford and he just got his name and and Jim's name confused. Jenna kept sneezing in the, in the middle of just various, many, many scenes. She just kept sneezing. I guess she's a big sneezer, which was kind of funny. (laughs) Um, in women's appreciation, we heard, that uh, in the commentary for that, that Dwight could not get through, sorry, that Rain Wilson could not get through um, the little monologue where he talks about shedding more light on the penises, um, (laughs) that he just would die laughing in the middle of all of that. And we saw some of those takes. We also do see Steve Carell escape from the straitjacket. Several episodes back, uh, Michael was in a straitjacket trying to perform that magic trick. And Steve... It looks like he kind of accidentally got out of it, <laughs> um, which was kind of fun. So that was a, uh, I, I think, the last scene on the blooper reel. So it was a good one. If you have access to it, watch it. It was pretty funny. Now, to sort of cap off our episode and to cap off the season, uh, we thought we'd do something fun. And we haven't consulted with each other on this, but uh, listener Brandon Lika, Lika uh, forgive me for not knowing exactly how to pronounce your last name. Uh, but he emailed us a week or two ago saying, hey, it would be cool if you maybe ranked your top five episodes of the season. We thought, hey, that's a good idea to sort of end things off. So uh, we're going to start with number five and then take turns counting down to one, say our favorite episode, maybe something short about it if you feel the need. Uh, but yeah, so starting off number five, what's your, your fifth favorite episode uh, for you, Katie? Oh, this was so difficult. I like them all. I like season three a lot. But I think my up there, number five for me, I put Diwali. Okay. What about uh, you? What did you put? I put the job. Um, this this oh, episode okay. we talked about today, I mean, it's hard to not put it in my top five purely because of that Pam moment at the end, uh, the Pam and Jim moment. But right. uh, the the rest of it. For starters, I don't rank things very often. It's just not something I do. Uh, right. So it was it was difficult for me to come up with anything. But uh, uh, I, I'm fairly confident with my others. So I guess moving on, number four, what did you put? Number four, I put The Coup, which was probably a surprising choice. I don't think it's the most popular episode, but I really love that Dwight-Michael relationship. I think it's so funny, um, especially just Dwight's groveling in that episode, which is a little disturbing, <laughs> but but pretty funny as well. Um, yeah, that this list may not hold tomorrow, but today, that's my fourth favorite <laughs> in the season. <laughs> what about you? Uh, mine was Gay Witch Hunt, the, the premiere episode yeah. of the season. Uh, that's a yep. classic of the office, period. And so it, it had to make a way onto my list somewhere. Number three for me is safety training. Um, I just love 
everything with Michael up on the roof um, from the silly <laughs> Dwight, you ignorant slut to the serious. I just think it's a really well done episode. And I love, you'll see several of my top five. Most of my top five actually are taken place outside the office. I love when they leave the office. Um, so yeah, I mean, technically they're still at the office, but he's on the roof now. So it's not, but <laughs> um, right. yeah, just a good one for me. What about you? I put Beach Games as number three, uh, again, largely for the Pam moment at the end. Uh, I, I care about the characters a lot. And so when one of the characters is featured in a major way for me, uh, that brings the episode pretty high up. So Beach Games for me, number three. I would agree with you exactly, um, because my number two is the job for the same reason you listed for the job for you. Um, big episode for everyone. I think a lot of turnover happens in this episode. I think all mm-hmm. of our major characters really get a huge moment. Uh, and for that reason, I love this episode. Mine, I put the coup. So that made my list as well. Oh, okay, uh, cool. I, 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 just, I just can't get past the uh, Krentis, the dentist scene. Uh, maybe that's why <laughs> he became a dentist. <laughs> um, but it's just a funny episode. I, I love Dwight trying to uh, take over. And Michael just really putting him in his place at the end and really playing manager like he does so rarely uh, by the end of that episode. All right, my number one looks like we have three of the same. I have Beach Games for number one. Um, Great episode. And again, yeah, it's mostly Pam in that episode. Um, And I think Michael is really, really funny in that episode, but it's all about Pam. I chose initiation, which I think might be an oh. out there choice. Okay. But you've yeah. got the whole fun storyline between Dwight and Ryan trying to forge a friendship and Ryan trying to learn from Dwight and it's just going so much different than he expected it to be, but he shouldn't have expected it to be any different than the way it turned out. <laughs> and then again, character moments. This is the, the the episode where Pam and Jim got in contact with each other for the first time, I believe. Um, mm, yeah. where they had that long phone conversation at the end. And so that was really the the deciding factor for me was uh, having those two characters who have been sort of suffering separate from each other, finally getting contact with each other, talk for several hours and just fall right back into stride of their friendship, only for it to end sort of awkwardly. But it, it, it was nice. Uh, that was also Pretzel Day. So, I mean... Who loves? Who doesn't oh, love Pretzel yeah. Day? <laughs> that's, that's three strong things right there. Yeah, it's a good one. I I think that might have been on my list, except for how the end of Jim and Pam's conversation ends. Yeah. really. Oh, it kills it for me. Oh, <laughs> I understand, but uh, the 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 highs are uh, they're the highs pretty are high. There. Yeah, yeah, including Michael Sugar High. Yes, also yes, very high. <laughs> And the lows are low. It's just an all-over episode. <laughs> yeah. Well, that brings us to the end of our official 28th episode of An American Workplace and to the end of season three. You can contact us at facebook.com slash workplacepod or on Twitter at workplacepod. You can rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes if you please. Uh, that would be really appreciated. helps us get some more uh, visibility on, um, on iTunes. And you can email feedback and ideas to workplacepod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash katie.white. 
And the best place to find me is at Chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. Also, facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And don't forget, there's my other show, Cinescope, where we talk about the movies we love and why we love them. And also Cinescope Today, which is a newly launched spinoff, new episode of that coming soon, where we talk about recent releases in theaters a little bit more often. And you can find both of those at uh, anywhere you can find podcasts and also the website, thecinescopepodcast.com. Show notes and all contact information can be found at workplacepodcast.com. That's all for this week. Thank you so much for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 28 of An American Workplace. Be sure to join us in episode 29 for our discussion on the first two episodes of season four, Fun Run and Dunder Mifflin Infinity. Goodbye. So that's season four, everybody. Um, there were some additional material. Huh? Oh, duh. Uh, <laughs> uh, so... <laughs>